The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. My name is Shannon Sword. I'm the college and young adults pastor here at TBC. And um, <laughs> y'all are making me blush. Um, <laughs> But it's my privilege to be here with you guys for sure. Our, our series that we are in the middle of right now is called Imago Day, and that means the image of God in man. And today what we're going to be looking at is how that, uh, that, that shattered image and redeemed image is reflected in, in singleness. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word that gives us insights and light in our life. Father, I pray knowing that there's some hard things that are going to be said today I just pray, Father, you would remind us of your love and your grace, and we thank you, Father, for the benefits of community, for other saints to walk alongside life with. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. So I don't know if you know this, but uh, the, the, the population in the U.S. Um, is now over 50% single. Um, the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics reported in 2014 that we now have 125 million Americans, 16 years of age and older, who are now single. That's just over 50%. Compare that to just 37%, uh, not quite 40 years ago. Did you know that there's a Singles Awareness Week? Did y'all know this? I, d- I didn't know this, but there's a Singles Awareness Week. It takes place the third full week in September. Um, and it's uh, embraced by, by a lot of folks. It's called Unmarried and Single Americans Week. Y'all thought this was going to be a joke, didn't you? You thought I was setting you up for a joke. No, it's true. There's a Single Awareness Week. But we decided that we would not wait till September to actually do this, this message. So we're going we're gonna to go for it today. So, so let me give you a, a quick tour of the singles community uh, that, is, that, is, that is around us. And my goal is going to be uh, to attempt not to... Um, uh, make any overgeneralizations. Well, the group that, uh, that, that most commonly really reject that label, that are offended by the label single, are, are the ones you keep hearing from, from over here. Those who are high school graduates or college graduates <laughs> are... Um, I, gotta, I, gotta, I really got to quit egging this on. Uh, they would, they would wonder, so why would you just call me adults? I mean, why, why would that not be a better label in my life? Why, why are you going to put this label of, uh, of single on me? Um, increasingly, among, um, among us in the church, there are, are, are many that have been impacted by divorce and are single again. Many of these folks wear another hat of being a single parent, and their plate is obviously quite full, as you can imagine, and some are wrestling with guilt and shame, and they find themselves really only quietly participating in the body life of, uh, of church, oftentimes. There are those who have been widowed. Their, their spouse has died, sometimes very prematurely, and they're left to work through grief and loneliness, um, and they need support and they need community. Finally, there are those who are wrestling with the question of singleness for the sake of greater devotion to God's kingdom work. And some will choose a life of single celibacy for their king. Now, now in churches in the Temple Belton area, we're still in a place that that our population's predominantly going to be married couples. 
But if you go to some of the urban centers, some of the larger cities in America, churches there are really primarily populated by, by those who are single. And wherever you're at, one of the things that I have heard time and time again, and I've read about time and time again, are the singles who um, say this. They said, I'm tired of the assumption that there's something wrong with me if I'm not married. I'm, I'm tired of that assumption. There's, there's something wrong with me if I'm not married. And, and so we, we do that in, in some subtle ways and maybe some not so subtle ways by the things we'll say and the questions we ask. Here are some things that, uh, that folks will say to singles that really um, can be very insensitive. As soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he's going to bring someone special into your life, right? As though God were that, that petty. Or, or, or you're, just, you're just too picky, you know, you're just too picky. You need to broaden your, your, your parameters and, and, and then God will have more room within which to work when it comes to, to bringing a mate along in your life. Or how about this? As a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work. As though, you know, singles are the only ones that are to, called to a life of devotion to, their, to their, their king. Or finally, before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. Mm, so special, right? So sensitive. And, and, and here's the thing. There's so much laughter. Everyone in here who is married knows that this thing is not true, right? There's no way that could be true because we did not marry somebody like that. We weren't yet complete. My wife can definitely attest to that, that I was not the wonderful man that I... Oh, sorry. Where, where was I going with that? Anyway... <clears throat> I love this, uh, this life statement uh, by, by a Christian single who finds her single-by-choice stance often misunderstood. She says this. She says, I'm not single because I'm too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband, uh, nor because I'm too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I'm single because God has, has been so abundantly good to me, good to me because, because this is his best for me. Spoken by Paige Benton Brown in her book, Singled Out by God for Good. Now, now my, my goal this morning is not to, to wag my finger in, 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 in married couples' faces. That's, that's not it at all. I believe the church needs both those that are married and those that are single. The church is supposed to be a, a, a diverse community of believers from many different situations, many different stripes um, and, and situations. So my goal today is, is really to be an equal opportunity offender <laughs> to both those who are married and those who are single in order for all of us to maybe get a better grasp of the power and the beauty and, and, and the unity of this, this, this body that God calls us to. Is that fair? Can we do that today? Yeah? No doubt there are married couples who, who consistently will misunderstand those who are single, but, the, but, but there are singles who definitely misunderstand marriage as well. In Tim Keller's book, The Meaning of Marriage, he shares how the book came into existence. He had about 30 years gone to plant a church in Manhattan and discovered that the population of those early congregants was 80% single. And as he got to know them and share life with them, he realized that they needed a series on marriage. And this is what he says. He says, single people cannot live their lives well as singles without a balanced, informed view of marriage. If they don't have that, they will either over, 
over-desire or under-desire marriage. And either of those ways of thinking will distort their lives. And and let me add to that, that uh, we're not talking just about singles here. The truth is, this is a truism, whether we are single or married. Whether we're single or married. So let me ask you this. Has your understanding of singleness and marriage distorted your life? Has your understanding of singleness and marriage distorted your life? You know, after you were born, somewhere in those early months, mom and dad are doting on you and grandparents are doting on you and and slowly they begin to talk about the things that make you unique. See, this is you. They begin to notice all those uniquenesses to you emotionally, intellectually, experientially, spiritually, they begin to, to notice all these, these things. And, and, and you're going along in life and you at some point finally begin to realize, you know what, I, I, I need to look for another puzzling person. See what I did there? Look for another puzzling person that could complement who I am. And so we come and we find that person and we realize we complement one another, right? So we found the one that complements us, and as, as we, we've come to say, this person is our soulmate. This is the one who, who fills in all the gaps in our lives. Now, I, I want you to know, I did a lot of research for this message. I, I went back and I watched Jerry Maguire. T- I think I'm cutting out here. Am I cutting out? We'll see if it happens again. I'm, I'm switching mics. We had some issues earlier. But I did. I watched Jerry Maguire two times. And um, uh, the, the scene where Jerry um, comes to his senses, he's now married Renee Zellweger, his, his, his wife. And, uh, and there's a scene where he runs through the airport and he gets the taxi home and he, he barges in and she is there in a divorce support group with her friends. And, um, and he says those three immortal words, that means so much to us, you complete me, right? And all the women, of course, in the room look back at, at Renee to see what she's going to say and do, and, and she interrupts Jerry, and she says, you had me at hello, right? And you watch it, and you feel a little verklempt watching this, talk amongst yourselves. But we eat this stuff up, don't we? I mean, we really do. We eat it up. But here's the question. Is it real? right? Is it real? Is it, is it truth? I mean, a quick glance at the biblical narrative. I mean, it sure seems to jive with the biblical narrative. It says in Genesis 2, it says, and the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. And, and so God makes uh, Eve for Adam, and he brings her to him. And, and then we see Adam's response He says, this at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I mean, Adam recognizes the goodness of this gift that God has brought him. And he exclaims, at last, thank you, Jesus. You know me, you knew my needs and you have given me a good gift and she completes me. But is that the full picture. Is that really the full picture? So let me spend the remainder of our time walking us through four principles, four principles that I hope bring greater clarity to how the church should really frame this whole discussion 
on singleness and marriage. Some of this comes from J.D. Greer's series, First Love, and you might want to check that out. But my first principle is this, that the love that you were created for is not the love of another human being. It was Christ's love. The love you were created for is not the love of another human being. It's Christ's love. You see, possibly the most widely held myth in our culture is this, that, 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 that my happiness and my self-worth are totally dependent on me finding that soulmate and having this romantic connection with them. According to the Pulitzer Prize-winning author Ernest Becker, writing in The Denial of Death, he says that we live in an age of apocalyptic romance. We've removed God and his design for marriage, and we've replaced him, listen to this, we've replaced him with unbearable expectations for transcendent relationships. And what he means by this is, is, is quite simply that you have got to find this, this, this soulmate. You've got to find your true love, the one who is the, the, the pure love of your life. Because at the end of all things, when all else falls apart, you will still have one another. We'll still have one another at the end when everything ends. And we see this, we hear this idea again and again and again in our music, in our movies. We're bombarded with it. The other day, I was sitting at the light, trying to get over, you know, the Belton Dam. We're down to one lane there. Love the fact that they decided to do that road as well as Main Street at the same time, right? But anyway, that's another story. Um, I'm sitting there. I have five minutes is what it takes for that cycle. And, uh, and a commercial comes on the radio, um, and this is what, what they say. It's a, it's a jeweler uh, out of Austin, and they say, we believe that the happiest people in the world are those who have found they're soulmates. The happiest people in the world are those who have found their soulmates. So what's that mean for the rest of us, right? You know, I mean, so, and the subtext, right, the transparent subtext is this, and they show that transcendent happiness by buying them lots of diamonds from us. When I counsel uh, couples, I do premarital counseling, and one of the things that I will, will do with the, the couple is I will have him look at her and her look at him and then I'll say to him, I want, you to, I want you to hear me say this. This woman is your helpmate. She is a good gift from God. But she cannot and will not make you happy. That's not her job. She'll let you down time and time again. And then I have her look into his eyes. Oh, so romantic. And I become the buzzkill and I say, this man is your helpmate. He's a good gift from God, but he cannot make you happy. It's not his job. And he's going to let you down time and time again. And I just tell him, you each were made to find your joy and purpose and identity, not in your relationship, but in Jesus Christ. And if you try to, to either in a spoken or unspoken way lay those kinds of expectations on one another, then I can guarantee you this. I can guarantee you it's going to lead to disappointment and manipulation and sadly, possibly divorce. Church, God, God has given us marriage as a tangible demonstration of a different relationship, a higher reality. In Ephesians 5, this is what Paul says. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And we say, amen. 
And then he goes on. He says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and his church. To Christ and his church. You see, the higher reality that every Christian marriage should point to is Christ's love for his church, for his bride, and vice versa. Life goes wrong. Life goes wrong when we try to make the symbol ultimate. Y'all see that? When we try to give such weight to finding that perfect person, making sure that this is our soulmates, but life goes wrong. If we make that symbol the ultimate thing that it was meant to point to. So married couples, marriage goes wrong when your happiness and your self-worth are dependent on being loved romantically by another human being. Singles. The single life goes wrong when you live your life convinced that your happiness and self-worth are dependent on being loved romantically by another human being. And we, we do this when we take marriage and we place marriage um, as, as such a valuable thing and we, we don't appropriately value it. We try to make it ultimate. And only Jesus' undying passion for his church is ultimate, our relationship with our Savior. So my, my first principle is that the love that you were created for is not the love of another human being. It's that of Christ Jesus. And two, life goes wrong when we make marriage the measure of a significant life. Life goes wrong if we make marriage the measure of a significant life. Now, there's always going to be those around, uh, folks who are single, family, friends, and, and they're going to subtly and not so subtly try to pressure you that you need to get married because what they really believe is this, that, that, that a life has significance if it produces offspring. A life has significance if there is lineage and nothing could be farther from the truth. Nothing could be farther from the truth. According to the the scriptures, as I read the scriptures, what I find is that ultimate family, ultimate family is not biological. It's ecclesiological. It's the church. The the, the truth is, is that we are each gonna spend eternity with a family much larger than our biological one, much more diverse than our, than our biological one. And, and it's an amazing thing. It's a good thing when our biological family is part of our spiritual family, right? And it's a really good thing, fathers and, 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 and wives, and I get that mixed up. They're not parallel. But anyway, you get the idea. When, when, we, when we don't, we're called to first disciple our own kids and our own family, right? These are, these are good things. But we go wrong when the whole focus of our life is on our biological family, do we not? Ultimate family is not produced through procreation. It's produced by spirit regeneration. And we see this in John 1, verses 12 and 13. John 3 is Jesus' uh, discussion with Nicodemus, talking about what it means to be born again and how the spirit accomplishes that. And then in Mark eleven forty-six through 50, uh, Jesus family has come to really take him away and he's ministering inside of a house that's so cramped that nobody can get in so they take a message to him and Jesus says this he points to his disciples and he says who are my my mother and my brother my sisters is it not they that do the will of my father Jesus in essence turns the whole idea of family on its head and so married and single adults 
Are you engaged in biblical community here at CBC? I mean, not just coming and attending, but are you really engaged in community here? Are you faithful in sharing your faith and and making disciples? Because this is the life that counts. This is what is ultimate. This is the life that God has called us to. And let me say this. Let me say this maybe in a little bit different way. A life that does not make biological offspring is not a failed life. But a life that does not make disciples of Jesus is. Yeah, that needs to sink in, doesn't it? Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is the Great Commission. It's like the mission statement of the lives of, of, of the church as well as all of God's children that are part of the church. We're called to go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them everything to, the, uh, to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And in Luke eleven twenty-seven 27 and 28, it's this interesting little moment when Jesus is doing ministry and a woman calls out from the crowd. She says, blessed is the womb that bore you. And Jesus kind of corrects her and, and says, Blessed is he who keeps the commands of my Father. So hear me carefully. I, I'm not implying that, uh, that, that only singles can and should wholeheartedly be committed to the Lord's work. I mean, God has called all of us to that, all of his children, be they married or, or single, to take evangelism and discipleship seriously in our lives. But, but I am saying this, and I think this is really important, For those of you who are single or those of you who know someone who is single, I'm saying that adult singles um, who make Christ the focus of your life, don't let anyone convince you that, that there will not be a great family reunion for you one day in heaven. Do not let anybody convince you of that because you, we have a, a rich family that you are a part of. And I'll say this to the rest of us, that until that day, until the day that we lay eyes on it and and what is promised is seen in the body of Christ, those who are, are married, those who are single, we have a responsibility to invite those, especially those. Uh, that are single and committed to the Lord's work into our homes, around our tables, and to be a, be a part of our, of our living rooms. This is what we do because we are the body of Christ. It says in Isaiah 56, the prophet says, this is a beautiful statement of hope. It's a beautiful reminder and a beautiful picture. He says, let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. A eunuch would be one who had committed himself to a single celibacy for the sake of the Lord's work all his life. And the prophet says, let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, the, the, the very words of God here, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and, and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that is better, that is better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. Important words of promise. So here's a couple of questions for us to wrestle with. Singles. Could you be single your whole life and not feel devastated and married could you go through life without a happy marriage and still feel fulfilled and if you can't say that the answer is no then marriage has likely become an idol in your life 
So the love that you were created for is not the love of another human being. It's the love of Christ. Life goes wrong when we make marriage the measure of a meaningful life. And number three, and this one's just kind of a, kind of a quick sucker punch. Um, I have, there's a lot I could say, but for the sake of time, we're going to keep it short. Singleness is not an inferior life to that of marriage. Singleness is not an inferior life to that of marriage. Jesus and Paul were both single men. And, and, and I think most of us would say that G- Jesus lived the most fully human life that's ever been lived on this planet. Matter of fact, I don't know if you've thought about this, but when you pray, you're praying to a 33-year-old single carpenter from Palestine, humanly speaking. I mean, it's another way of looking at it. And I think oftentimes we go, huh, I never really thought about that. No way. Singleness is not an inferior life to that of marriage. Number four, the goodness of singleness and marriage are best appreciated in the context of a healthy church. They're best appreciated in the context of a healthy church. The goodness of singleness is seen in the freedom, the devotion, and the perspective that singles bring to the Lord's work. It may be for a limited time or it may be for for a lifetime. In 1 Corinthians 7 Paul says this, he says, now as a concession, not as a command, as a concession, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. So Paul, who was, was single, is, is saying that, that clearly uh, that God calls some to a life of uh, single celibacy, um, and that may be for a portion of their life. Or maybe for um, their whole life, and that it's a good plan. It allows them a great deal of freedom and, and devotion to ministry. When I was up in the Plano area years ago, I had a buddy named Jeff Orvin. Jeff worked with Student Venture. It's a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he was um, part of uh, the church, the local church that I was at there as a youth pastor, and Jeff was an amazing teacher. He was amazing with people, Um, but Jeff had committed his life to to singleness for for the sake of being devoted to the Lord. He was committed to that, and, and I can tell you guys that Jeff has borne, figuratively speaking, but maybe not so figuratively speaking, he has borne so many people into the family of God through the faithfulness of his life. On campus, Sean Shannon is the BSM director at UMHB, and, and I count myself blessed to know her as a friend. She's a colleague. I have the opportunity to be able to, to work with Sean, and Sean is a woman of, of great tenderness and mercy and compassion I've never seen her ever walk by a student and not stop and get their name and hear their story. She loves people. God is faithfully using her on the campus at UMHB, and she has, to date, given her her life. She didn't know if that's going to be all her life, but but, uh, so far, that's what it has been. Right here in our our midst in uh, college ministry, Kay Casebolt is a widow here at CBC, she was widowed about 19 years ago, and Charles, her husband, um, she and, and he did faithful ministry on the campus of the University of Texas uh, in the early years of their marriage. And then they moved to, to this area, and they've been a faithful part of discipling uh, many of our early church leaders here at the church. And Charles died 19 years ago, and, uh, 
And I'm sure Kay was surprised when about a decade ago, 10 years ago, I called her up and said, hey, Kay, you want to come be a part of college ministry? <laughs> She's like, what? I said, yeah, we need somebody to, you know, bring food onto campus. I was, you know, secretly plotting. I figured I'd, you know, kind of lure her in that way. And then she'd find all these gals that she loved hanging out with. And she'd begin to be able to share her life. And she has been a part of Sea Life now for a decade. She's an amazing woman. I count her as a friend. And she is uh, bearing spiritual fruits through her faithful ministry. There's obviously a goodness to singleness, and God uses it. Before I d- decided to share this one, though, I, I, I asked our, uh, some of the folks on my ministry team in our young adults ministry. I was with them this past Tuesday night. And I said, so, so what do you think of this? I mean, do you, do you agree with this, well, this idea that, that God, um, that this is a good thing, that God would have some single for a period or longer in their life? Do, do, do folks look at your lives and see joy and contentment and, and purpose? And does, this, does it create conversations? And they, three of the five that were there started telling me testimonies of how that very thing is happening in their lives. And I realized, amen, this is, this is so, so true. God has the diversity, the complexity uh, of, the, of the body of Christ and, and, and so many different situations are needed to, to bring glory to him. Now let me say a few cautionary thoughts here that I think are really, really important. Because there are those who are single, uh, young and single, and, uh, and they just, they, they're just enjoying that. And they want to remain that way because they're involved in a sexual relationship. And it may be not just a sexual relationship, but it may be like one after another after another. And that's kind of the way they, they cope with that. And I would just say, I mean, seriously, I would say in love but in firmness, that, that you need to repent because you're walking in sin. And the truth is that, 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 that you obviously do not have the gift of single celibacy that God has called you to. And so run back to him, embrace the grace that is yours and begin to pursue Christ as you are pursuing um, a mate. I'll say that... Um, that we've got those that are part of our, our, our singles ministry. We call them the young adults. And, um, and one of the things that, that I love is that, that there's authentic community happening there. And then as they date, and as our college students date, that we have close enough relationships um, in the body where we can speak into one another's lives and steer one another away from issues that are going to become huge in the future. And so we need to be able to speak truth and love to one another. Let me say additionally, to those who are single again, there's been a divorce, and as I said earlier, you've kind of come into a church like this and you've quietly found your place. We want to love you. We want to care for you. We want you to be a part of community. We want you to be a part of our, of our, of our home groups, of our small groups, of women's ministry or men's ministry, no doubt. But part of that is we really want to hear your story. We know that there's things that you need to talk about, things that you need to work through. Um, the, the truth is that there's, uh, there's really biblical grounds for divorce and remarriage, and then there's unbiblical grounds. So some of you may need to get with a pastor and understand what that's all about. And I hope that the reason you're, 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 you're quietly here, I hope that the reason is not so you can keep yourself under the radar until you find somebody else to marry And you do that before being a part of authentic biblical community. 
because we need to be able to speak truth into one another's lives. So enough of my cautionary, my cautionary statements. So a lot of good things that God does in the midst of singleness. In the same section in 1 Corinthians 7, on the goodness of singleness, Paul also has a word for all people, married and otherwise. And he says this. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. So from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. For the present form of this world is now passing away. So, so it's, it's likely that Paul had a prophetic vision and recognized that uh, this is what one of the, the possibilities scholars point to is that he saw the coming destruction of the temple that was going to take place in AD 70 and then the ensuing persecution that was going to flow out of that. And as he says that, Paul does what he so often does is he, he, he says, church, we have got to wake up. We've got to realize that what we see happening right now in the church age is going to happen again and again and again as the kingdom of God presses in to this world that we live in more and more. And so those of you that uh, are buying and selling, don't, don't, you need to do that, but understand, don't put too much stock into that. Don't put too much stock into living this life uh, for that goal. Those of you that are, are mourning, don't, don't mourn too deeply. Mourn, but also recognize the time is coming when all is going to be made right. For those of you that rejoice, rejoice in this world, but don't rejoice too much. Know that the, that the way things are going to be is not all yet seen. And those who are married, enjoy the gift. It's a good gift, the, 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 the gift of, of marriage, but not too much. Not to the exclusion of the body of Christ, because remember, we have a greater calling, a greater purpose than simply our family. So let me try to wrap this, uh, this message up uh, in this way. TBC, for, for those of you that are married, we have to work hard, we have to work hard at getting to know um, our brothers and sisters who are single or single again. We have to, to, to make room for them in our, in our home groups, in our community groups, in our families, around the dinner tables and our couches. Single adults, I want to encourage you to venture into, um, more and more venture into home groups and men's groups and women's groups and bingo nights. We had a, a lasagna and bingo night this past week. It was a, a ton of fun. Those that were here thoroughly enjoyed themselves, and it was such a great cross-section of our body. But one thing I know we all need, I know that we all need one another because it's not good for man to be alone. You know, when we were first married, Susan and I, we didn't have a lot of money for entertainment, so we, uh, we did puzzles together. And, um, and it was cheap entertainment. We had this one puzzle, Noah's Ark, 1,500 pieces, you know, and they were also teeny tiny pieces. And, um, but one of the things I, I realized in all the puzzles that we were working is that while these two pieces complement one another, while these two pieces obviously fill in a gap here and there, Truth is, is they don't fully complement one another, do they? It looks like there's still some places for uh, some connections here to this couple, to this married couple. And that's because God has a, a bigger vision for our lives than merely being a couple. 
God wants to put us in his body. He wants to, to paint us right into the body of, the, of a local church, whether we're married or whether we're, we're single. I've got um, this uh, picture in my office. It's by an artist uh, by the name of Leonid Afromov. He's an Israeli painter, and he's, uh, he paints with, um, with light and color, and I love this picture. And yeah, you have to really look closely to make out that there's a, just a, a street band there. Maybe it's on the street of New Orleans. We're not sure where, but, but you can make it out. But he, he paints. What I, what I love is that he paints with these brush strokes that are these big, thick strokes that are almost like a puzzle piece. You know, it's almost like he's just putting this piece of the puzzle in place, and once it's there, he can move on to the, to the rest of the puzzle. And I, and I look at that painting that's called Street Music, and I, and I often think that perhaps our Heavenly Father is like that. Perhaps that's what he has done in our lives. Every time he animates somebody who is single, he just takes his brush and he paints them right into the local body of believers. And he takes a couple and animates them uh, for, his, for, his, uh, for his purposes in the spirit and, and he just brushes them right into the, the body of Christ. We're a, we're a, we're a body and, and every time we come together for the sake of, of, of sharing a community, of loving the poor, of making disciples, of doing church together, the truth is, is that we realize that, that, that we need one another. And God has painted us into a picture together. And my hope is that as the people of God here at CBC, that right here along the highway and byways, right here along the, the streets of Temple, Texas, that when folks hear the music of this congregation, they hear a compelling music. They hear compelling music street music. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of life. Father, we thank you for the the beauty and the complexity of the body of Christ. Father, we we recognize the need in so many ways for us to to work harder in your spirit, Father, to work harder, to trust you that, that in the midst of diversity, we are called to love one another well, to know one another well, and to cross over those, those tribal boundaries that so often will cause us to hesitate and to love one another. Father, I pray that we would do that well. Father, I pray that we would be a sweet aroma to the, um, to the community around us. I pray that, that we would make a, a, a sound, a music that is a sweet music, a compelling street music to the world right here. And simple belt. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.